Remember at 7 o'clock this evening, Lord willing, we're preaching on how to kill your false gods in your life. The Bible says that God kills and makes alive. He kills and makes alive. In fact, the only way that God has found that he could save a person is to kill him first and raise him from the dead. You see, folks need a resurrection. And so we'll be dealing with things like this tonight. Now this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. As he comes down to close this epistle. 1 Corinthians 16.22 The Apostle Paul always closed his greetings. He always opened the greetings exactly alike. And he always closed just about alike, all his epistles. One thing I especially note is the writers of the Bible always signed their name to begin with. I like that. I've received some letters. I've got them in my files that had no names on them. Several of them. But the writers always signed their names to begin with. They wasn't ashamed of what they were writing. And they signed their names to begin with. But as he comes down to close this first letter to the Corinthians, he puts in something that's pretty strong. And it has to do with something that you would think that would be ordinary, but it's not. Verse 22, chapter 16. He says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. That word is a Greek word which means a cursed. And then he says, Maranatha. That's an Aramaic word which means at the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. The early believers, when they came into a church house like this, or when they were having a meeting, instead of walking up to one another and saying, Hello, how are you today? You know what they said? Maranatha. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. That was their greeting. But here he adds something to it and he says if a man, woman, boy, girl, or young person does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Now that's strong language. In fact, that's the strongest language in the New Testament. It means to be damned. A curse, it means to be damned. And it's used five times in the New Testament. 
It's used twice concerning preachers. He said, if a preacher doesn't preach the grace of God, let him be damned to separation. It's used here in this account, and then it's used in the Corinthian letter once again concerning the lordship of Jesus Christ, and then it's concern, it's used concerning the souls of men. Where the Apostle Paul prayed and he said, he said, I could wish myself accursed for my brethren. His heart was so heavy for those that were lost. Have you ever been so burdened about somebody that doesn't know the Lord that your heart is broken over them? And uh, uh, you, you care a burden for them. The Apostle Paul did for his own brethren, the Jews. And he said, I could wish myself accursed, damned to separation for them. In other words, you could put it like this. The Apostle said, I'd be willing to go to hell for them. Now, that's right much love, isn't it? He said, I'd, I'd be willing to go to hell for them. He adds the word Maranatha here. The Lord has come or the Lord is coming. It could be translated both ways. Look closely now. And I want you to see as we put these two together. He said, if a man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Maranatha, at the coming of the Lord. Let him be cursed, let him be separate, uh, separated from God at the coming of the Lord. Now, do you see how important this is, this thing of loving Jesus? This is what we are talking about this morning, the sin of not loving Jesus. The sin of not loving Jesus. Do you see how serious this thing is of not loving Jesus? Fundamental preachers are feeling held by preaching a popular Jesus that makes no demands upon people's lives. And he requires nothing. He's so pious and sweet that he makes no claims upon the lives of people. Now, I refuse to preach that kind of Jesus because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. I refuse to preach such a Jesus for I, the Bible knows nothing of this popular Jesus that makes no demand upon people's lives. The Jesus of the Bible makes demands and requires certain things of those who come under his Lordship. In fact, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Here's the answer. The question is in verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's a big order. He said you love the Lord with everything that you've got. It's to be total commitment. Total commitment to him. He must have absolute, total, unconditional surrender. And anything less than that, anything less than that is not the salvation as given in Scripture. Now, I'm well aware this kind of preaching will run counter to what has been preached across America. For folks are preaching in the majority of the churches this morning that you nod your head towards truth and you make some kind of profession and you're all right and they pat you on the back and bring you into the church and you're just all right if you do that. But I'm not about to say that because of this. You've got to face this question Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love him? And it's not just a little sentimental love. It's with all of your heart and all of your strength and all of your mind and your whole being. Your whole being. So... I've made up my mind and settled this long ago. Nobody goes with me. This is the way I'm going. Let me say that again. If nobody goes with me, this is the way I'm going. Because I have to. I'm not going to compromise and preach this popular Jesus that's growing fast and across America. And they say we're having the greatest revival that we ever had in America. I'd like to ask, where is it? Where is it? And <clears throat> it makes no demands on people and brings nobody under discipline and brings nobody into the local churches. And they call that the greatest revival that we ever had in America. All I've got to say is they know nothing about revival or history of revival. This Jesus lays claims upon men's life. And this matter of loving Jesus is a serious matter. And in the majority of churches where they're growing by leaps and bounds, if they would preach this kind of Jesus, then the folks would scatter like you had shot them with a shotgun. They'd They'd go like that. And the folks who are putting up these big buildings to house more and more. If the preacher would really preach in that kind of situation, there'd be plenty of room. Are you listening to me? If he'd really preach, there'd be plenty of room. Plenty of room. If he'd preached something like Jesus said, look at it, Matthew 6, verse 24. 
No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Now notice, no man can serve two masters. Two masters. You cannot have two masters. You've got to have one. He says here that you will love the one and hate the other, or else you'll hold to the one, despise the other. There are folks this morning who want to straddle the fence and they're going to say, uh, I don't love Jesus and I don't hate him. And uh, I'm not against the church people, but I'm not for them either. And they're on the fence. Sometimes I wish I could just run a little juice down that fence and just knock them off on one side or the other. <laughs> I'd really put the juice to it. So they'd come out and see where they stand. Now really now, there's no reality to folks saying, uh, well, I, I love Jesus, but they don't aim to obey him or do anything that he has said. It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. We live in a day when the average Christian in our day professes with the loudest mouth that he loves Jesus, but in his life there is no evidence that he loves him. Not one little bit of evidence that he loves Jesus. Not one little bit. The average professing Christian is not a constant hearer of the word of God. Now you listen to me. The average professing Christian is not a constant hearer of the word of God. And you cannot be a Christian and not be a hearer of the word of God. Are you listening to me? You cannot separate the word of God and the house of God. Are you listening now? You see, when you have to make a choice between the house of God and something else, and you always choose the other. Now I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong in your life, and you better check up your foundation. Because the word of God and the house of God are together. That's right. And I don't begrudge anybody taking time, a little vacation. And by the way, I missed that this summer, somehow or another. And, uh, <clears throat> but, uh, I'd, uh, I don't begrudge anybody doing that. But this idea of folks going every weekend somewhere, every weekend, and missing church, <laughs> there's something wrong with that now. Something wrong with that. 
The Jesus who loved us and died upon a bloody cross is now the enthroned Christ. He sits upon a throne this morning. And he demands your best, yourself, your all. And the attitude that we have toward the Word of God and this Christ and his church reveals the attitude of our hearts. There is not one truth in the Bible that you can take and live. As soon as you take it, you die. You cannot take one truth without dying. And the moment you take it and it becomes yours, you die. And folks will surprise you. Now listen, folks will surprise you that are waiting for an opportunity to get out from under such claims of such a Christ. They're waiting for the opportunity to get out from under the claims of such a Christ. I'm greatly interested now in my text. I've been looking at it for a long time. It has to do with loving Jesus. Just loving him. And uh, <clears throat> this matter of loving Jesus is not just talking about loved him last year or last uh, month or loved him yesterday. It's right now. How much do you love him this morning? How much do you love him? How much do you love him today? Present tense. Right now. <clears throat> do you love him with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, with all that's yours? Do you love him? That much? That much? Those who are born again, who live a daily life of repentance and faith <coughs> in coming to Christ in the truth of it, not just coming to an altar, but coming to Christ in the truth of it, think of the terrible sin of living in God's world not loving the son of his love. Think of the terrible sin of living in this world and breathing God's air that he's given us and taking the goodness of God off of the top and refusing and ignoring the son of his love. What a terrible, terrible, terrible sin that is. It must be a terrible sin for the apostle says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed at the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. When the Lord returns. 
One of the most terrible things anyone could be guilty of is not to agree with God about the lovely uh, loveliness, beauty, and glory of God's dear Son. You see, the Son of God is the apple of his eye. And if you touch that, you're touching something that he loves. He's the apple of God's eye. And if you rebel against that, you're rebelling against the highest throne in the universe. If there's rebellion in your heart about what I'm saying just now about loving Jesus, you are rebelling against the highest throne in the universe and not just the voice of the preacher. Because he died on the cross, he's sitting on the throne and he's been given authority over everything that we go. If you do not honor his son, you wound God. You wound God in the deepest way you could possibly do it. Let me tell you what hurts the worst is somebody that you love the most. Somebody you dearly love. And they wound you. If it's somebody outside that you don't uh, uh, care as much for, it don't hurt as bad. It hurts, but it don't hurt as bad. But listen, now hear me. If you wound God in this thing of not loving Jesus Christ, you wound him in the greatest possible way. You wound him right in his heart. Now this thing of loving Jesus is not to be taken lightly. If we say we love him, then we ought to do it. We ought to do it. We're to honor the Son. We're to love Him with all of our hearts. We're to give Him utter submission. You see, the essence of all sin is setting up oneself on a throne in the heart. The essence of all sin is selfishness. What was Adam's sin? Adam's sin was that he wanted to run his own life. What's the sin that faces us today? Folks want to run their own life. They don't want the Lord to run their life. We're down to brass tacks now. We're down now where the rubber hits the road. This is the issue now. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it Jesus? 
see Jesus sitting there. See? Well, preacher, I didn't know this thing loving Jesus. That's serious. It really is. It really is. Here's the second thing. The essence of salvation is the collapse of your rule over your own heart. That's when you take your hands off and say, Lord, you have it. You take it. It's yours. It's not mine anymore. You take it. Now listen, I want you to listen to this because I want you to carry it with you. You live in a day. You live in a day when professing Christians do not care what God says in this book and they are not about to obey what it says. The average professing Christian doesn't care one bit what's said in this book. That's why the man out on the street and the one that does not profess to know the Lord will look you over real good to see if there's any reality about what you said. Whether you're going to live it at school, at home, in the neighborhood, church on the job they won't know if there's any reality to it they won't know Mr. Bradford <coughs> Bobby's dad and Buster's dad he taught junior boys for me well he taught at Andrews Memorial for many years he taught junior boys there, and then he came and joined church where I was pastor. And he taught junior boys. In that junior class, he would start out with new boys. They had come up from another class and like that. And he began to work on every one of them. And witness to everyone individually. But here's something he told me and it stayed with me. And I, I believe he had a good idea. I believe that it would do well for all of us to follow this example. Here's what he said. He said, if I tell a boy in that class something, I will do it. For he said, if I don't, then he has no confidence in the Christ I represent. That's pretty good, wasn't it? By the way, he taught until he couldn't, he couldn't hear too well. And then he said, I want to give up the class. Couldn't hear what the boys and girls were saying. <clears throat> But he said, 
They will not believe what I say. And they will not believe the Christ I represent. Now listen. The man who works with you side by side and the boy or girl who goes to school with you They're going to have to believe in you before they believe in your Christ. Or your church. Or your Bible. They'll have to believe in you. And they'll have to believe that you love this Jesus in your heart. First of all, How can I know I have this love? My chief delight, joy, aim, and purpose in life is to please Him. To please Him. Is that the greatest joy in your life? To please the Lord? When I wake in the morning... My greatest joy is to please the Lord that day. There's a lot of things that I can't correct that I'd love to correct. There's a lot of things I'd love to undo that has been done. And I can't go back and do that. But one thing I can set out and a purpose and a goal in life to please the Lord. Please, the Lord, let's make that the goal of our lives, to please Him above everything else, and especially in this little church, let's set out to please Him, and if we please Him, He'll take care of the other things. How do you know that, preacher? He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. The Lord will add them. He'll do it. But we've got to put our lives on the line first. Lord, here I am. Take me. Use me. What is the purpose of life? I believe the framers of the Westminster Confession that was written in 1700 had the right idea. The very first question in the catechism of the framers of the Westminster Confession is this. What is the chief What is the chief joy of man? What is man's purpose for being here? To love God and enjoy Him forever. That's the answer. That sums it up, doesn't it? 